0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning, church family. Wherever you may be, it is great to be with you, even virtually this morning. As we come to God's word, let's pray together. God, our Father, this is a passage which is timely, but also for the same reason, bracingly challenging. So we pray that you would step into, via your Holy Spirit, our hearts and minds to change who we are because we've met with you this morning. We've done it in worship. We pray now we could do it in the preaching of your word that you would be glorified and we, your people, would be blessed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in 1995, in the wake of the evils of apartheid, South Africa established what was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And it was a place where the people who are both victims of, but also perpetrators of gross violations of human rights, could come and give their testimony about what had happened. Now, of course, the commission wasn't perfect, but all in all, it's generally credited with having been a major piece of helping South Africa transition from apartheid to democracy. Truth is, our world has lots of deep things that need reconciliation. And the last month has made it clear that our own country and our own culture have deep needs. The evils of slavery and segregation and Jim Crow of ongoing racism make it clear that our nation has a lot for which we need reconciliation and white on black racism is just one of many cultural sins. But reconciliation isn't just a big national and international thing. It's also a very individual, personal thing. We all need reconciliation in our own relationships. As much as we would like to say and think and portray that we are basically good folks who've got it all together, the truth is, if we look honestly, we're a bundle of insecurities and idolatries and worries and struggles, and that works out in leaving all sorts of wounds on each other. Truth is, we sin against each other a lot. And those sins and those wounds tear apart relationship. Often they tear apart relationship with the ones we love the most. And many of us carry through lives relationships that are shattered, that are broken, that need reconciliation. And our passage this morning from the Gospel of Matthew comes to us and emphasizes that we need that reconciliation and then gives us the power because grace says go. Go go and be reconciled. Now, this is such a big topic, both societally and individually, that here's how we're going to handle it. Today, we are going to focus mainly on individual reconciliation. What would it mean for Grace to say, go to him, go to her, and be reconciled? But in doing that, we don't want to ignore at all that there are great, huge societal issues at play. So two weeks from now, as Rob mentioned Reverend Dr. Erwin Entz, a dear friend of many of us on staff, is going to come and he's going to preach to us and help us think about the church as an agent of reconciliation in our culture. But today, we're going to look individually. What does it mean to go to her and be reconciled? What does it mean to go to him and be reconciled? What does it mean when someone comes to us to be reconciled? So let's stop again. Let's break our normal rhythm and let's pray. Pray with me if you would. God, we come and we ask that you would right now bring into our hearts and minds the people with whom we need to be reconciled. And Lord, we recognize that that's somewhat of a painful prayer request, but we ask that you would do it, that you would bring our need right to the surface. So that as we approach this text, we would not shy away from what's hard, but that we would have before us the people with whom there is a rupture, with whom there is a break, that you might actually reconcile us together. We pray it, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we bring that forward, let's talk about three things then. One, let's talk about God's call for reconciliation. Two, Let's talk about the power for reconciliation. And three, the process of reconciliation. The call, the power, and the process. Start with God's call. Look at the text. If you look at this text, it is an imperative. In other words, it's not optional. Jesus says, go and be reconciled. He doesn't say, this would be nice. Would you think about it? He gives his people a command. Go and be reconciled. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, if you are in worship, if you're at the altar about to give your gift and you realize someone has something against you, he says, drop your acts of piety and go be reconciled to that person. I mean, this is incredibly striking. What could be more important than the worship of God? But Jesus says, well, if your worship of God is going on and you have a mess with another person, He says, that's hollow. Jesus goes so far to say, stop your acts of worship and go be reconciled. That's astounding. And what does it mean? What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, in fact, this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this specific word gets used. Now, there are other English words, there are other Greek words that we translate as reconcile, but this is the one place this word shows up in our New Testament. And it means, it in fact demands a change in relationship. It demands an exchange of dissension and hatred and disagreement and wishing the worst and trading that for wishing the good. Trading that for restoration, for moving a relationship back to what it ought to be. And if we're going to do that, Jesus makes it clear that that begins in the heart. Before we go, it begins in here. Look at verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, look, let's talk about the seventh commandment. In your Bible, it's often translated, you shall not murder. And the Jews of the time understood that if you broke a commandment like this, you were liable to God's judgment to even hell. Jesus says, don't define this as just what you did. Don't sort of keep score and say, well, I never pulled a trigger. I never pulled a knife. I'm good. Jesus says, look, if you scorn your brother or sister if you just look down on them, if you think they're a fool, if you think in your heart, what an idiot, he says, don't you realize you've fundamentally done the same thing? You may not have acted it out, but Christ takes a maximal interpretation of the commandments. Just to keep the letter of the law, he says, it is not enough. We can break the commandment just by wishing. Now, of course, there's a difference between wishing it and doing it, but Christ says, look, if you've wished it, you have the fundamental same issue. That puts us in danger of hellfire, and then we think for a second and go, then who of us is not? I have done this, you have done this, we have done this. It is so easy to, in fact, transgress, because this starts in the heart. But then once the heart gets right, God says, go. Go and be reconciled. And look at how proactive it is in our passage. He says, go and do it. In fact, he doesn't even say, if you're at the altar and you realize you've got something else against him, go. and." It's not about dealing with our stuff. It's if you're at the altar and you realize something else has something against you, drop it all. Go deal with it. That even explains how these last two verses of our passage are connected. They seem like a separate saying, and they kind of are. But practically, pragmatically, they're about taking initiative, Agents of reconciliation don't wait for it to come to us. We go. We be reconciled. So, back to the question who? Who? Well, if we know who it is and our Lord tells us, go do it, let me ask a second question why don't we? Why don't we go and be reconciled? And I think there are two pretty obvious reasons. Number one, because it's hard. Because it hurts. Um, Dr. Keller used this example in a sermon probably 20 or 30 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He said, look, when we sin against each other, a debt gets created. Every time we sin against each other, a debt gets created. And once that debt's there, it's objectively there. And we have really just two options. Option number one is we can make that person who sinned against us pay down the debt. And human beings are endlessly creative about how to do that. We can eviscerate their reputation. We can make them come and grovel. We can make them pay it back other ways. We can even just pretend they are not there and wall them off. We have all sorts of creative ways to take the debt out of their flesh. He says, or you can do the gospel thing. And the gospel thing is to do what Jesus did, and it's to forgive. He says, but don't think for a second that if you do that, the debt just goes away. He said, every time you get angry again, every time you get frustrated, every time you want to take it out on them and you decide not to, well, you or I are paying down the debt little by little by little out of our own flesh. Either way, the debt's there. It has to be paid. Why don't we go for reconciliation? Because it's costly, because it comes out of our own flesh. Or second, why don't we go for reconciliation? Well, frankly, because we don't think it's going to work. Because human relationships can spiral so badly down that if you go back to him or if you go back to her for the first time or maybe the 20th time, you and I know there's a pretty good chance it's going to get thrown right back in our faces. So we become cynical. We think there's no way that relationship could be saved. I'm not going to try. Truth is, that's not true. It could be saved. We're not willing to do what it would take at the risk and at the pain knowing that it might not work. So though our Lord says, go and be reconciled, we say, no, I'll stay. And that leads us to the second question, what's the power that could make this happen? What power could possibly enable us to do what Jesus is saying here? And the great news is the second point is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power for reconciliation. Now we could go through this in a number of ways. Let's just go through it in the way we treat our kids in children's church. So kids, in children's ministry, students in student ministry, help us out if you're at home. We talk about the Bible. We talk about the gospel in four great chapters. And we've done this before and we'll do it again because there's never too much review. Chapter number one is what? Say it at home, creation. That God made the world the way it should be. He made us the way we should be. He connected us exactly to each other and exactly to him. Having made a perfect world that he said was good and good and good and good and good, when he came to humanity, he made us and he said, it's very good. People relate rightly to each other and they relate rightly to God. But then in Genesis 3, the story takes its second chapter, this dark turn. What is it? It's fall. That Adam and Eve walked away from the God who created them. They said, no, thank you. We'll take it our way, not your way. And we understand that when they did that, they did exactly what you and I would have done if we'd been in the same spot. They are our perfect representatives. And having done that, sin entered the world and fundamental rupture and breach of relationship. They were no longer right with their creator. They were no longer as they ought to be. They needed reconciliation. And in fact, you and I therefore are born into a world where we are always headed for death. Because we need the same thing. We need reconciliation with our creator. And if we find it hard to reconcile with other people, you know why? It's because we don't actually think chapter 2 is that big of a deal. When we look at ourselves, we think, well, I don't really need that much help. The gospel message is we need far more help than we could possibly imagine. We are doomed unless, unless chapter 3, kids, what is it? Restoration, or restoration, (laughs) redemption. Chapter 3, that God himself entered that situation. God would have been entirely right to just walk off and let us go our merry way to hell. But that's not what he did. God went. He said, the grace says go, and he went, he came, he became incarnate as a human in the person of Jesus, became everything we ought to have been to save us from sin. The story of the gospel is, in fact, that we are recipients of grace that God has come to us and he has saved us from sin by becoming a human and by taking it out of his own flesh. God died for you. He died for me precisely so we would be reconciled to God. And that lets us look forward with great excitement and joy to the fourth chapter, restoration, when God will make all things new. When he will make the world again as it ought to be, every human relationship and every relationship with him will be everything it ought to be. We look forward to that. And the story of the gospel is that God came. If grace says go and be reconciled, he did it for you and for me. And if we recognize the truth of that, it puts a different power into our efforts to go and be reconciled. If we recognize that this is what God did for us, that this is what we needed, if we have a true sense of the depth of our sin and the joy of the gospel, then suddenly we have a different power than anyone else in our world. I actually love the insightfulness, the self-awareness of Fran Lebowitz, And Fran Lebowitz wrote in this, in her obituary for Toni Morrison, when she died in 2019, She said this, she said, We disagreed on the idea of forgiveness a lot. Tony had a tremendous amount of empathy. She could see a million sides of every person. I really don't know why she did. I just chalked it up to Christianity. Even the characters in her books who are certainly not the good guys. There's always some sympathy for them. I thought that's incredibly insightful. Knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior gives us a different power for reconciliation. And that leads us quickly to the third thing, the process of reconciliation. And if there's one thing you can hear here, hear this, it's a process and it's a journey. We so love to reduce a passage like this to four steps, do them in order, do them quick, get done and forget about the issue. And I've got to tell you, that's just not the way it works. It's a process, it's a journey, maybe better put, it's a bowl of spaghetti. It's a web of things, of things we have to do, things that are done for us, by us, in the Spirit. And, and we're often looping back and having to do them again because we thought we dealt with this and then we find out we didn't deal with this. So don't treat this as take three of these and then call me in the morning. It's a whole lot more complex, the process of restoration. And in the little time we have, let me just suggest quickly seven things about this process. And remember, they don't necessarily go in order. Point number one, thing number one about reconciliation is ask God into the relationship or maybe the lack of relationship. Step in with God and say, this can no longer be a linear relationship, me and her, me and him. This has to be a triangular relationship, me and him and God. What does it mean for me to start to pray through this relationship? What does it mean for me to start to think through it and not just pray about it, but pray through it? To step into all the pain and all the hurt and say, God, show me things. To have my Bible open, my telephone line open to God and say, show me what I need to hear here. Let me walk through this in detail with you, Lord. Be part of this relationship or this ruptured relationship. First, ask God into it. Second, forgive. Forgive. Now, what is forgiveness? Well, it's not exactly the same thing as, as reconciliation, but you can't, for, you can't reconcile if you haven't forgiven. Forgive, and forgiveness means changing from wishing the worst for them to wishing good for them. It means changing from wanting them to suffer for what they did to actually truly wishing for them to be forgiven. Now, this is hard. Let's not for a second act like this is easy. Dr. Keller said, well, if you do it, you're taking it out of your own flesh, and we feel that. And some of us have suffered difficult and monstrous things at the hands of others. Nothing here is trying to be trite or say that forgiveness is easy. What we are trying to say is it's gospel. And frankly, it's the only way we'll ever heal. Let me speak directly to some of us who have been abused. If you have been abused And you are hearing this and you hear some of the stories that show in the media of forgiveness and you think, I'm sorry, but God, I am just not there. Hear me, child of God, that's okay. Because God knows it's a process and he knows it's difficult. But there will only ultimately be freedom. You will only ultimately be free of what was done to you if you get to the point where you can forgive. So if you're not there yet, That's okay because God has grace for even that. Understand it's a process. But let me just ask you this question. What would God tell you the next step is? Number two, forgive. Number three, value truth. Value truth. It is incredibly important that reconciliation be based on what's true. So we don't tell a lie to be reconciled, nor do we accept a lie to be reconciled. And it is possible to go to someone who has hurt you very, very badly and say, look, the truth is that was wrong and that was painful and that was even evil, yet I forgive you. Come with a value of truth. And if someone comes to you to be reconciled, don't quickly dismiss them and say, well, I know that's not true. Be ready to take it in and really meditate on it and bring it before the Lord in prayer and say, show me my hidden faults, Lord. Show me what's true. Now, don't also just immediately accept what the person says. There are unreasonable people in this world. But don't too quickly dismiss. Bring it in, sit with it, pray with it, study with it to say, God, show me what's true. Value truth. Number four, risk risk rejection. The whole point of this passage is go and be reconciled. Someone has to take the first step. And when we go, we put ourselves out there and we risk rejection. Be willing to step out in a situation where it might get thrown back in your face. Many of us hide from reconciliation in our caution. But Jesus says clearly, go, take the first step, risk rejection. Now, immediately on saying that, five, number five, don't enter an unsafe situation. Many people hide in their caution, but some people, especially if it's been an abusive situation or if there was a real controlling thing going on, actually run too quickly back into the situation. Do not enter an unsafe situation because in fact, if you just restore a connection before it's ready, you can do more damage than good. There are times in this fallen world we live in where forgiveness is absolutely necessary and some amount of reconciliation is necessary, but that may not actually mean an exact return to the same type of relationship. In fact, it often can't. If you bring someone back into a situation where the only thing that's going to happen is that sin patterns repeat themselves, well, bringing someone back into a situation where they'll sin, that cannot be loving for them. And the sad truth of it is that sometimes people who are controlling and abusers use a sermon like this. They take it and they use it to pull someone back into a situation that's entrapping them. Note five, do not return to an unsafe situation. Then six, do your part. Do your part. Do your part. What do we mean? We mean this. You notice there are two commands. Go and be reconciled. And only one of those two do we actually have a whole lot of control over. We can go, but being reconciled is a two-part affair and we're only part of that equation. But you know what? God doesn't hold you and me responsible for what that other person does. He holds us responsible for what he's calling us to do. So go and do your part. And then finally, number seven, respond. Respond. What do we mean by respond? We mean this. If someone comes to you, Don't quickly blow them off. Don't quickly dismiss them. And also, don't quickly say, oh, it's no big deal. Well, yes, it is a big deal, or they wouldn't have worked up the courage to come to you about this. So if someone comes to you, respond. Take it in. Sit with it. Pray with it. Do not quickly dismiss, but bring it before the Lord. Now, seven things, sadly, we're out of time. There's more we could say. There's more we should say. But remember, it's a process. What's the next step God would take you have you take as you wade through this bowl of spaghetti? Ask God in the relationship. Forgive. Value truth. Risk rejection. Do not return to danger. Do your part and respond. All right, we're out of time. Grace said go. God came in the person of Jesus incarnate and died for you and me. And if grace said go, then grace looks at us and says go. Go to that other person and be reconciled. Let's pray together. God, Father, the weight of having dealt with big things but dealt with them quickly is always there. But we know you can take meager loaves and fishes and you can turn them into a feast for thousands. So in the issues of reconciliation and struggling with restoring fractured relationships, we bring you our meager loaves and fishes. We pray that in our insufficiency and even in our own sinful responses to when we've been sinned against and even our own rationalizations, that the meager spark that's in there, you'd fan that into a flame, that you would feed us with what we need. We trust you would do it. We pray you would do it. And if you would do it in our lives and relationships, we would give you all the glory for it. We'd claim none for ourselves. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.